It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 360 for September 15th, 2013. This week, those who miss the look of film but who don't want to return to buying, shooting, and developing film will want to take a look at Exposure 5. Fraudsters have rediscovered an old ploy involving weddings. I've taken yet another look at Evernote. And in short circuits, Apple introduces a faster, cheaper iPhone. Google has a court date. Netflix scores a win in England. And Unfriend isn't exactly new. A digital sensor is a digital sensor and all of them handle color in pretty much the same way. Film was different. Each brand and type of film had a certain look. Now, I have no desire to return to the days when film was the only game in town, and there are only two film cameras remaining in the house, a 45-year-old Nicromat that no longer works after taking one too many tumbles, and a Fuji point-and-shoot camera that I bought during a business trip to New York City, I think in the early 1980s. It's been digital photography for me since about 1999, but still I would welcome the ability to replicate that old film look with some of my images, and I can. Alien Skin's Exposure 5 is the tool you need to achieve the film-like result. It's a plug-in for Adobe Photoshop, but because not everyone is happy about Adobe's new software for rent business model, Alien Skin is in the process of converting all of its applications to work without Photoshop. It also works with Lightroom, Photoshop Elements, and Aperture. Although the standalone version works well, I think it's still better when used in conjunction with Photoshop. Some Photoshop users question the value of add-ons such as those from Alien Skin. The usual claims are that anything a filter like Exposure 5 can do can also be done by someone who knows how to use all of Photoshop's features. Well, that's true to some extent. Trouble is, I have never encountered anyone who knows how to use all of Photoshop's features, not even at Adobe. Beyond that, Alien Skin brings several useful features to the party that could be created with Photoshop, but only with a lot of additional manual work. I view it this way. With enough knowledge, tools, and hard work, I could build my own automobile. But it would take me far longer, and the result would be inferior to what I can buy from an auto dealer. Exposure 5 and other similar filters combine all the various steps needed to create a specific result using an interface that's designed to simplify the image modifications that the application specializes in. And anybody who feels that Exposure 5 offers only a limited set of cookie-cutter effects simply hasn't bothered to examine all of the options in the panel on the right-hand side of the application. Yes, you can start with a cookie-cutter effect from the left column, but that's just the start. One of the defaults might get you halfway to where you want to go, or maybe 80% or even 95% of the way, but it's up to you to advance the image from 50% or 85% or 97.5% or wherever 
to 100%, or maybe 110% if you're really dedicated, and that's where the numerous controls on the right-hand side come into the picture, so to speak. Photoshop tends to describe functions in technical terms. Alien Skin uses terms that photographers will understand. Let's start with Alien Skin's Exposure 5 as a Photoshop plugin. You'll find the images I talk about here on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I started with an image from the Franklin Park Conservatory, one of the more delightful locations in central Ohio. The first stop, of course, was Adobe Bridge, where I selected the image that I wanted to use for the exercise. It's a RAW file, so I opened it in Adobe Camera Raw, made a few minor corrections there. I increased the exposure just a bit, boosted the contrast, lowered the brightness in the shadow areas, and boosted the clarity some. After opening the image in Photoshop, I selected Exposure 5 from the Alien Skin menu under the Filter section. And then on the left, I found the General Presets. Most of the filters that deal with black and white images are at the top. Most of those that deal with color images are at the bottom. The presets simply select the general settings that you can then modify using the many controls in the panel on the right. So the process is really easy. You just start with one of the presets on the left and use as many of the options on the right as you want to fine-tune the modifications exactly the way you want them. At the bottom of the screen, there's a Before button. Click that and you'll see what the image looked like before your modification, or just press the spacebar. And if you open all of those sections on the right, and there are a lot of them, you'll immediately realize just how flexible exposure is. So I decided to add a slide mask to the image to make it look perhaps like an old Kodachrome slide. One of the primary advantages of using Exposure 5 within Photoshop is that the revised image is then returned to Photoshop as a new layer. The original image is still there as the background. This makes it possible to try several Exposure 5 options on the same image and retain all of them right in the same spot, but they're all still separate from the original. You might want to try several modifications to find out which one you like the best. I went on to another look. I decided to try the grunge Lomo look. I added a light leak that might have occurred in an inexpensive film camera, but the light leak that was the default was way too strong, and it happened to be placed so that it covered the main subject. Not good. So I changed the light leak effect, moved it to the other side of the image, and toned it down quite a bit. I also added a frame effect and a vignette. Versatility is apparently a very important consideration at Alien Skin. For the standalone test, I chose a picture of a cat. You knew that was coming, right? Percy. Either Perseus or Percival, take your pick. As a standalone application, Exposure 5 cannot open a RAW file, so you'll need to convert RAW files to TIFF in your camera's photo application, or just shoot only JPEG images. In the image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, I use the split-screen view so that you see the original image on the left and the Technicolor image of Percy on the right. I looked through several Technicolor presets and decided that I'd like the one called Wizard of Oz. That seemed to be just what I was looking for. And then I used the infrared section on the right to increase both halation opacity and halation spread. I think he's just gorgeous that way. When you finish with an image in the standalone mode, you do need to save it, and to avoid overwriting your original image, Exposure 5 will suggest adding dash exposure to the name of the file. 
You'll see the final result on the TechBiter Worldwide website after I added a frame effect. Now, as much as I like Exposure 5 as a standalone application, and it works really well that way, I still think it's better with Photoshop. But either way, it's an application that any professional or serious amateur photographer will appreciate. Alien Skin provides a lot of high-quality instructional videos that are designed to help both new and experienced users get the most out of exposure. You'll see an example on the TechBiter Worldwide website that discusses some of the color options. And if you go to the Alien Skin website, you can see any of their other videos. They're free, and there's no obligation to watch them. So the bottom line for Alien Skin's Exposure 5 is 5 cats quick access to traditional film looks because it allows digital photographers to create quickly the exact treatment that precisely fits the vision they have for images. Exposure 5 can be an essential part of a workflow for professionals and serious amateurs. Exposure is one of several applications from Alien Skin. Additional details along with all those training videos I mentioned are available on the Alien Skin website and there is of course a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In the old days, thieves would sometimes send fake wedding invitations to people knowing that some of them would attend the wedding even if they didn't recognize the names. Then, knowing the people would be away from home for a while at the time of the wedding, they would burglarize the place. Today's thieves have it a lot easier. They just want access to your computer. So I received an invitation several days ago. It actually looks pretty legitimate. The message says it's from Lucas DeLeon, and the email address matches his name. That's a good start. But look at the date and time of the wedding. Who sends out fancy invitations and plans a big wedding for 4 p.m. on Tuesday? The letters SRO follow the name of the agency, and this indicates that it is a limited company, probably in the Czech Republic or Slovakia. And there's what appears to be a link to a legal disclaimer. Hover the mouse over Legal Disclaimer and you'll find there is no link to the Legal Disclaimer. A real agency would have a working link there. Below the link that says it will allow me to read the full text of the invitation, and by the way, so far it hasn't bothered to tell me who is the bride or who is the groom or who is anybody. Below that link, there's a reminder. If the link are not working, please move message to Inbox Folder. So, we have a subject-verb mismatch, and we have a missing article before inbox. There should have been a word like the in front of inbox. Slavic languages don't have equivalents of articles in English, so Slavic speakers often omit them when they speak in English. Everything is consistent, then, with this being a message from Europe, which makes it even less likely to be legitimate for a wedding somewhere in the United States, presumably somewhere near me. Where did this message come from? The reported address is tanheimer.biz. It's registered in Germany to a company in Austria, and the message was handled by www.srv.eu. EU is, of course, the top-level domain indicator for the European Union. Because the link to see the invitation would probably take me to a site that would attempt to install malware, I opted to read the page with Sam Spade, an aging but still quite useful utility that can return the contents of a web page without any danger. The page was reported to be blank. 
And to confirm that was actually the case, I then used a service called AnyBrowser.com to view the site. This is a service designed to allow website developers to view their sites in any number of browsers. After filling in the URL, I clicked the Submit button, and I got a blank page. So apparently the site's already been taken down. That's good news, but I wonder how many people were victimized while it was still operational. Oh, and as for Tanheimer.biz... When I pointed any browser at it, all I got was an error message. I have tried to use Evernote several times, and although I keep hearing how good it is, I've never been able to realize its potential. On the other hand, I couldn't live without Microsoft's OneNote. A new version of Evernote was released in early September, and recently I've seen OneNote crash when it opens and it's trying to access my SkyDrive account, so I thought maybe it was a good time to take another look at Evernote. I wanted to give Evernote a completely fair trial, so I spent a lot of time reading articles on Lifehacker, PC World, and various independent sites. I even bought a couple of ebooks that describe how to use Evernote, and I visited Evernote's site frequently to view the many available training videos. The slogan Evernote uses is, Remember Everything, and Lifehacker gave me a clue about why my previous attempts to use Evernote have failed. It boiled down to this, Use Evernote for everything. If you try to use it for just a few things, you won't like it. Even so, I was quickly defeated. What turns out to be a deal killer for me, right out of the box, is Evernote's presentation capabilities. Or, more accurately, lack of presentation capabilities. I use a table in OneNote to track the progress of reports for TechBiter, and OneNote has a tagging system that color codes articles depending on whether I've started working on them, have open questions to resolve, or have completed the account. Evernote offers only a checkbox. I decided I could live with that. But Evernote has no way for the user to control the size of text columns, the cell outlines are hideously ugly, and the largest table the program can create has just 29 rows. That's a problem because years contain 52 weeks. After creating the table, though, it is possible, but not particularly easy to add rows, so there's at least a workaround for that. Evernote does have several features I'd like to see in OneNote. The ability to write a note in an email and send it to Evernote, for example. That's really neat. And Evernote's add-on website clipping function is far superior to what OneNote has to offer. Even though I've tried to like Evernote, I just can't get past its clunky interface and its many limitations when compared to OneNote, at least for my needs. Evernote is available on more platforms, and its synchronization process maybe works a little better than OneNote's. OneNote has an Android viewer, so I can see my notes on all of my desktop and notebook computers and my Android devices. Microsoft even has a OneNote viewer for Apple's iOS devices. Not that I plan to buy one anytime soon. Evernote runs on Mac computers and BlackBerry devices in addition to Windows computers. That's something OneNote can't do. 
There are add-ons for Evernote that help it perform some of the tasks that OneNote does natively and to extend its capabilities beyond what OneNote can do. Custom Note's an example of this, but Custom Note is available only as a web service or on an iOS or Android device, not on a Windows or Mac computer. So the bottom line for Evernote is, I have no clue. It's an information manager that's either great or horrible. I'm not going to give it a cat rating. For my purposes, the rating would be two or maybe one, but for many people, the rating would be five. I now understand why some people like Evernote as much as they do, and I understand why it'll probably never be an acceptable alternative to OneNote for me. If you're looking for an application that'll help you keep track of just about everything, be sure to check out Evernote and OneNote and the offering from Google, Google Keep. You'll find links to all of them on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, Apple has unveiled a faster, cheaper iPhone. Unfortunately, it's two phones. One is faster, the other cheaper. And that's not to say cheap, but somewhat less expensive. Unless you've been in a cave for the past couple of weeks, you know about Apple's big event this week. Now we have the iPhone 5S, which can read a fingerprint, might be therefore popular with the NSA, and the lower-priced 5C. The 5C is positioned as the iPhone economy model. It'll cost about half what the 5S will cost in the U.S. under standard cellular plans. In other words, about $100 for the 5C, $200 for the 5S. Outside the U.S., though, most phones are sold separately from service plans. So the economy model will cost about $550 compared to $650 for the 5S. The price is simply not conducive to volume sales, and Wall Street took note of that. Apple's stock dropped a little over 2% following the announcement. Both models will go on sale in the U.S., Japan, and China on the 20th of September, and Apple has announced an agreement with NTT Docomo of Japan. Analysts had expected another announcement that would involve China's largest mobile phone company, China Mobile, but that didn't happen. In bifurcating its line of phones, Apple follows the strategy that it uses for other products and that most manufacturers use, creating multiple lines with various features and price points. After all, you can buy iPads in a couple of sizes with differing amounts of memory. The same is true for notebook and desktop computers, automobiles, homes, and portable fans. Well, maybe not the memory part for portable fans. The C in the 5C doesn't mean cheap, it means color, by the way, and Apple has been careful to make that distinction very clear. For its higher price tag, the 5S provides a faster processor, the A7, and a separate processor that works with the device's motion sensors. Those sensors will allow the phone to support a variety of health and fitness applications. The 5S comes in colors too, but not as many as the 5C, and they're all more upscale, business-like colors, silver, 
gold, and dark gray. The 5S has a better camera, and even with a faster processor, Apple says it'll have longer battery life, 10 hours of talk time, or 250 hours of just lying there on your desk. And there's also that fingerprint reader. It's incorporated into the button below the screen. Using the fingerprint reader will allow the user to bypass the standard unlock process. Apple also announced an upgrade to iOS. The operating system that runs iPhones and iPads will be released on the 18th of September. Federal Appeals Court in San Francisco decided this week that a lawsuit in which Google is accused of illegal wiretapping can proceed. This seems to be the summer of privacy discord, and it involves some of Google's data collection that occurred in conjunction with its collection of images for the Street View features of Google Maps. But Google's Street View vehicles were collecting more than just photographs. They also collected any data they found in the air when users neglected to encrypt their Wi-Fi routers. Email messages, usernames, passwords, photographs, and other personal information were among the information swept up by Google's cars. A three-judge panel in San Francisco's Federal Appeals Court ruled unanimously that a suit against Google can proceed. In a 35-page decision, the judges largely discounted many of Google's assertions by stating that Google had been inventing new meanings for words. Does this remind you of Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll? When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said, in a rather scornful tone, it means what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. Google's data harvesting was brought to light in Germany in 2010, and more than 10 countries since then have investigated Google, or currently are investigating. Legal actions are pending in various locations. In the United States, several suits were filed, and all of these were combined into a single case that was heard in California. This is Google's defense. Wi-Fi communications are readily accessible to the general public, and intercepting them does not violate federal wiretapping laws. This contention has now been rejected by the original court and the appeals court. The judges wrote that Google's definition of radio communication, which is indeed not covered by wiretapping law, differs from how radio communication is defined by certain other entities, such as Congress and virtually everybody else. So the next step for the plaintiffs will probably be to have the case certified as a class action suit. The plaintiffs are asking for $10,000 each with unspecified punitive damages. And if millions of people join the suit, the potential damages could be large enough that even a company with Google's resources would be unable to simply buy its way out of trouble as it's done in the past. Google blames a rogue engineer for what it says was inadvertent access of data, but an investigation by the Federal Communications Commission said the engineer was not a rogue engineer, just that he was simply not well supervised. Virgin Media UK Television has added Netflix streaming media to its cable system. 
Currently, only about 40,000 customers will be able to use it via their TiVo systems, but the plan is to roll it out to all 1.7 million subscribers who use TiVo. This is seen as a big win for Netflix, because most cable operators consider Netflix to be more of an enemy than an ally. Virgin Media is apparently smart enough to realize that their prospects might be better if they work with Netflix instead of trying to beat Netflix. If only the music industry had been this intelligent in the early days of online music sharing. Virgin Media UK has nearly 4 million customers, and nearly half of those use TiVo systems. This appears to be the first time that Netflix has been added to any cable operator's offerings. The TiVo software allows users to search for pay-per-view content, online subscription services, and on-demand sites, but most cable operators disable that feature on boxes that they provide to their customers. So there's another reason to like your cable operator. back. I unfriend thee. You probably think that unfriend is new, an offshoot of Facebook perhaps. If so, you would be wrong. So is I. The term actually has been around since 1878. And if you want to consider Old English, for a lot longer. 19th century Dorsetshire poet William Barnes felt that if all non-Germanic words could be removed from English, the language would immediately become much more accessible and intelligible. He looked for Anglo-Saxon replacements for foreign words, resurrected long-dead words from Old English, and if there was no Old English word, he invented one. Ornithology became bird lore. Pram, or perambulator, became pushwainling. Alienate became unfriendin. Accelerate became onquicken. Arriving and departing became oncoming and offgoing. The whole approach was described in his book An Outline of English Speechcraft, published in 1878. So, if on Facebook you unfriend someone, you're not doing anything new. And thanks to David Crystal, the author of The Story of English in 100 Words by St. Martin's Press. That's a bit of information from the book that I've been reading. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.